guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode, we'll tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Cameron Harold, the president of the COO Alliance. The COO Alliance is a vetted peer group designed to support and develop the second in command. Cameron was the CEO at 1-800-GONE-JUNK and helped take the company from $2 million to $106 million in six years. They operated in four countries, 333 cities, and was ranked number two on the best companies to work for in Canada. He's also a best-selling author with five books, including Vivid Vision and Meetings Suck. Cameron, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Tass, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but what was the key for growing 1-800-GOT-JUNK? Well, I think it was a couple things. One, we were very, very clear on what we were building. We really wanted to grow a world-class brand. And then secondly, we found a couple of things that were what we called the flywheel, Jim Collins' idea of the flywheel approach that if you find something that the more you focus on it, the more that it will spin under its own weight, the more that it will kind of propel itself. And we found that um, a couple of core flywheels for us were important. So we really pushed on building a culture or a cult. You know, we ended up ranking as the number two company in all of Canada to work for. And then we second really focused on leveraging free publicity and looking to get more and more publicity coverage or PR coverage for the company. And the more PR coverage we got that talked about our our culture and our brand, and the more that it talked about our growth, more PR coverage we would get. So that just kept kind of the flywheel um, propelling for us, which was really powerful. Mm, Wonderful. I saw a presentation where you talked quite a lot about the vivid uh, vision. How does that fit into everything? Yeah, we learned the concept of a vivid vision about 20 odd years ago. It was an Olympic coach. He was actually a high performance sports psychologist. And he would train Olympic athletes on how to visualize themselves performing their event. And when we understood how athletes use that process, how athletes would close their eyes and picture themselves performing the event over and over and over again, then they were able to perform the event almost completely on instinct. And he gave us that tool, or at least understanding that we developed a concept that I, I've codified that we now call a vivid vision. The vivid vision is essentially a way for all of the employees, all of your customers and suppliers to see what the company looks like, feels like, and acts like three years from today. It's a way for the CEO to craft kind of a description of the company in its future state three years out so that everyone in the company can figure out how to make that come true. And if you'd like, we can maybe I can send you a link to one of my examples of a vivid vision. You could put that in the show notes for people. Nice. Very nice. So does you said the CEO has... So how does that whole process start? Like for someone that doesn't understand how that whole thing works, how does it start? Yeah. So the vivid vision process really starts with the CEO of the organization getting out of the company for about four to six hours going off-site somewhere where they're inspired, somewhere around nature, no laptop, no, no technology whatsoever, and just having a notebook and a pen and them 
dreaming about what the company looks like in the future. Them kind of leaning out, as I call it, into the future and describing what the company looks like, acts like, and feels like. So they, they end up doing a mind map of three to four bullet points around what the customers are saying about your company. Three to four bullet points around what the employees are saying about your company. Three to four points about your meeting rhythms and about your leadership and about technology and IT and operations. And really describing in vivid detail every single functional area of the company and every single center of influence on the company as if you were walking around your company three years in the future describing what you saw. You wouldn't be describing how it came through. You would be describing what it looks like in its future state so the team can figure out how to make that come true later. So that's really the kind of, I guess, best description of, of how, how they do it. They go off-site and start doing that mind map. And then once they have that mind map done, then they can draft a, a first draft or a Word document that might be four or five pages long. That Word document gets professionally crafted by a copywriter who can really make it pop off the page. And then the team can figure out how to make that come true. Mm, very good. So this document, once it's created, it's shared with the, the team. What do the conversations look like? Are those sort of items discussed on a daily basis, a quarterly, weekly? How does it sort of get sort of, or is it posted on a wall? How does that all sort of work? Yeah, great question. So this is actually something that the team will actually review on a quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. They'll actually use this as part of their quarterly planning process to think about how to make the company or how to make these parts of the organization come true. So they will effectively lean out into that future and start figuring out how to make each sentence of that vivid vision come true. So when you're doing your quarterly planning process, that's when the team will start to think about what parts, almost like building a home, what are the foundational parts that we put in place first? And then how do we put up the walls? Then we put in the electrical and the plumbing. There's foundational aspects of your business that you have to put in place first. And then from there, it starts building out the additional parts of your company. Very nice. Now, you talked about PR as being one of your uh, flywheel items. Uh, how relevant is PR right now? Because the push is in social media right now. Yeah, well, social media is part. But if you think about PR, we've got television, we've got mm -hmm. radio, we've got podcasts, we have bloggers, we've got e-zines, we've got magazines, newspapers, we've got all kinds of areas that people devour content. And then a lot of that content is shared on social media later. So when you think about in your, in your business, what area would be beneficial for you to have coverage, it can, there's, there's all kinds of areas that you could be covered, correct? Yeah. So that's really what, what you want to start thinking about is where would your readers or where would your, not so much readers, but, but your, your customers, where are they going to be looking for information on your company and how can you best serve them? That's really what the, the PR coverage is about, is getting coverage in those ways. If I think as an example, one of the books that I wrote is called Meeting Suck. Yes. So if I, wanted to get, you know, if I wanted to get people to understand the book Meeting Suck and, and what the purpose of that book is, I might want to get it covered by Forbes magazine or Fortune magazine or Inc. magazine or a podcast like you might talk about it. There's all kinds of ways that I can get audiences to learn about it. That's really the purpose of free PR. Absolutely. So it's good. You brought up your book, Meetings Suck. What's one of the areas that we always look at? How do we run better effective meetings or not run meetings at all? What are the fundamentals of running uh, great meetings or meetings that don't suck? Well, it's interesting. Like a lot of people sit and complain about meetings. I'm like, well, have you ever trained all of your employees on how to run great meetings? They said, no. 
I said, have you ever trained all your employees on how to show up and attend and participate in, in meetings? And they said, no. I'm like, well, then maybe meetings don't suck at all. Maybe we suck at running meetings. Mm. So the, the general kind of, I guess, core of what we need to, to do to run a highly effective meeting or a great meeting would be things like starting on time, stopping on time, finishing five minutes early, only inviting the core group of people that need to be at that meeting so that you don't over-invite people. Mm-hmm. Controlling the idle chatter, having a moderator in a parking lot in place. So I try to outline the, the rules for how to attend meeting or how to how to run meetings, but I also train people how to attend them and how to show up and participate at them. I think that's important as well. Is that we often forget that one of the best ways to run highly effective meetings is to train your employees on why they're showing up and how to attend them, or actually how to opt out of them. Right? That we often don't teach people how to opt out of meetings that they shouldn't be at in the first place. Like people can mm-hmm. sit and complain that, oh, the meeting I'm in sucks. Well, why are you there? Why, <laughs> why did you even agree to show up in the first place, right? Why couldn't you have opted out of that meeting and felt comfortable in your decision to opt out of it? And that's a really solid sign of a great leader is allowing your employees to choose where to focus their energy and their time. And it might be better served by doing specific work versus by being in a specific meeting. So you said how to attend meetings. What, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So like, again, if you're going to be, if you're being requested to be at a meeting and there's no agenda or there's no outcome for that meeting, why would you say yes to attending it? Mm. So I teach people to lead back up to say, no agenda, no agenda. I'm not going <laughs> to say yes to coming to a meeting if I, don't, if I don't know what we're covering and in what order we're covering it and how many minutes we're spending on each item. Why would I say yes to being there? I only have so much time in my day to work on core projects unless I know the outcomes and what we're covering, I may have better outcomes on the other work I'm doing. So that forces the people running meetings and forces leaders to, to run them in a better way. We have protocols in place to get all of the people attending a meeting to be able to speak, to be able to share their ideas and information. So it's kind of like, why would you invite me to a meeting and not let me talk? If you're only going to let the, the more dominant, expressive people talk the whole time, I'm just going to sit at my desk and do my project. You know, I don't really need to be there unless you're actually going to actively involve me. And that's often not thought through as well, right? People often just invite people for the sake of inviting them. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of things are, are what we talk about. And when you start, if you spend $15 on every employee and buy them all a copy of Meeting Suck and they all read it, you massively change your company for the better. Because then people, on average, people spend one to two hours a day in meetings or on phone calls or on video calls without having any idea how to actually do it effectively. Hmm. Very good. So you're, you're CEO Alliance, right? With the supporting and developing the second in command. Let's start off with what makes a great COO? Wow, that's a great question. It's a big question. <laughs> so what makes a really good, what makes a really good COO is someone who plays the absolute yin and yang to the CEO. Mm-hmm. So a lot of trust between the two, really solid communication between the two. A COO who is trying to make the CEO iconic, trying to make them look good, and a COO who is willing to work on all the areas the CEO doesn't like. So in some cases, the CEO runs finance. In some cases, they don't. In some cases, the COO runs sales and marketing. In some cases, they don't. So the COO is always playing the counterpart to whatever the CEO is great at, mm-hmm. and really being there is their true yin and yang, the true balance. That's core is that real trust and that real understanding that their job is to make the CEO look good and to be their counterpart. And then 
the COO also has to be the one who will say what no one else is going to say, mm. who will really tell the C almost like the emperor's new clothes that we tell them the truth that they might know to be true. What no one else is saying, we need to not worry about hurting their feelings, but you have to do that privately. The CEO wants to know all the stuff that they need to know privately. So the COO, a good COO is the one who can tell them, look, you're screwing this up or look, you're dealing with this wrong or you're embarrassing people, et cetera. Mm. What's uh, in your eyes, someone that you think is a fantastic CEO that's, that's out there executing from, from what you can see? Yeah, I'll give you an amazing one. So if you think about the company called Shopify, right? Really strong brand, really great execution, really strong company culture, fantastic growth. They did a public offering a year and a half ago that launched really successfully, very profitable, really executing amazingly well. And this COO, Harley Finkelstein, is very much the outward face of the company. He talks to the public, he's business development, he's culture, he gets the media around the company, and he's the second in command. In his case, Tobias Luke, Tobias is the CEO, is a much more inward-facing engineering operations execution focus, while Harley is more kind of outward-facing. So in that case, there's an example of someone who's executing quite well and people know who he is. The flip side of that would be someone like an Eric Church, who is the COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. No one's ever heard of Eric Church. He's been there for about seven years, executing brilliantly from about two years after I left until now. Maybe even longer, it might be there eight years now. <laughs> he's done an amazing job at executing and scaling a brand and taking them from about 100 million to 400 million. And, and he doesn't need to have any of the focal point on him. He's quite happy with being the inward face of the company. Interesting. So, so you're saying that the CEO, like you said, the yin and the yang. So the skill sets for the CEO can be slightly varied, but it has to complement the CEO very well. Exactly. Interesting. Harvard actually, Harvard actually did an article about 15 years ago called The Misunderstood Role of the COO. Yeah. And it's because people were trying to put it in a box and there really is no box. The box for the COO is whatever the CEO doesn't want to do or is not good at. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So those examples are good. I mean, like you were a CEO at uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Like, did you know this stuff right away or what were the hard lessons and, and sort of turning point for you in that role? I had, I had played the second in command a couple of times. So some of it, I knew it intuitively. And then some of it, Brian and I, Brian was the CEO and founder. We just had really, really good communication with each other. He had been my best man at my first wedding prior to me joining the company. So we already had a high degree of trust between us. We were really close personal friends before I joined him. So again, a high degree of, of trust and communication already. So we didn't have to learn that. We already had that. Mm, very nice. So, I mean, I think you wrote another book about habits as well. And because I always like to ask my guests, what are your top habits or routine for success? But what are yours that really stand out? My habits, my daily routines? Yeah. Oof, great question. Like which ones sort of stand out as, as ones you want to pass on? Yeah. So, well, Hal Elrod and I wrote a book called The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. In that Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs that we co-authored together, we actually laid out what we call the morning success habits or the morning savers. And but then in addition to those, I included some success habits for the rest of the day. But I'll go with the morning savers first. So savers is a six-letter acronym. And the first S is for silence. That's really waking up first thing in the morning early, four or five o'clock, six o'clock, and, and having a moment of silence to just feel yourself moving into the day to start listening to the sounds of the mornings. 
And then going into affirmations where you have a daily affirmation or a saying that you repeat to yourself. So my, my current affirmation is I'm very confident in dealing comp- or gaining confidence each day. It's an affirmation that I've been saying for a while now because I went through a very, very rocky, painful divorce and my confidence was very shaken. And then you go into your visualizations. Visualizations are when I would read my vivid vision or listen to my vivid vision or think about that something is coming up for the day and get myself anchored and feeling in that moment. You know, if I'm doing a speaking event, I'll walk out on stage early in the morning and look at the empty room and feel myself in the audience in the room. So I can kind of feel myself in that moment. And then exercise, just getting, even if it's a seven minute workout or take some burpees or push ups, something to kind of kickstart the blood and kickstart the body first thing in the morning. And then reading is your R. And reading might be listening to an audiobook or doing physical reading. It could be something for fun, something for inspiration, something for personal growth, but just some morning, some way to just ease yourself into the morning a little bit with some reading. And then lastly is scribing. And scribing is either journaling or doing a five minute journal or a cosmic journal or think book, something that just allows you to take some ideas that you have inside of you or to generate some ideas to get your mind going. Those would be the morning success habits I think I would start with. Yeah. And you mentioned vivid vision. So is that a personal one? Do you have a personal one and a business one? Yeah. So I have a business vivid vision that describes what my company looks like, acts like, and feels like three years from today. And then I have the same for my personal life as well, where I've thought about what I look like, how I act like, and how I'm feeling three years from today so that I can actually then figure out how to make that come true. Very nice. So with CEO Alliance, where are you taking it? What's the, what's the vision? Sure. So the CEO Alliance really is the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. We have all of these amazing organizations for the CEO, all these amazing groups for the CEO where they can go and mastermind and learn from each other, but there was nowhere for the COO to go and learn. And COOs or second in commands would often show up at these entrepreneurial events. They really didn't fit in. So I created an organization just for them where they can actually mastermind with each other, learn from each other, network together, connect with each other, grow their skills and grow their company. That was really the sole purpose for the CEO Alliance. Very nice. So you're extremely busy. You carry any hobbies? Yeah, I love, love skiing, love golfing, tennis, hiking, cooking, traveling. I've spent seven weeks in Europe in the last seven, oh. six months. I don't gosh, last five months I've spent seven weeks in Europe. So travel, cooking. I'm also part of a number of entrepreneurial masterminds. So just yeah. love spending time with a lot of entrepreneurs. And then I'm raising two kids as well. Yeah, very cool. So, so Cameron, is there anything that I, I should have asked you but uh, didn't? Gosh, I don't think so. I mean, I guess people have, have said, you know, what would be kind of your one word of advice be? I guess one big yeah. thing that I've been on for a long time now is that none of us are getting out of this alive, right? <laughs> none of this actually matters. This is just what we do to make money. And if we think about ourselves and our lives and what's really important to us, it's connecting with our kids and our families and ourselves. It's having hobbies and, and enjoying the journey. But I think so many of us take what we do to make money so seriously that we forget that it's about how we spend our time and how we connect with others and ourselves that is, is all we're really going to be able to leave with. But, so it's just having some fun along the way as well. Very cool. Well, Cameron, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Tots. Appreciate it. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. 
If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.